For those of you who don't know who I am, I am Brent's mom. Yes, I created this. <laughs> but don't blame me. His father is half as, as guilty as I am. But um, I, thank you, Brent. I always, I love when he asks me to speak, and I don't take it lightly. And thank you for um, entrusting me with this huge responsibility. So um, this week, I was, last week, like many of you, I was putting up my Christmas tree. And I was all by, my, or my decorations, and I was all by myself, so I turned some Christmas music on and cranked it up. And while I'm decorating, I hear the song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, right? I didn't pay too much attention to it, but then I noticed, like, the words were different than how I remember singing it. And the more I listened, the more I realized, this, somebody's changed something, and um, I heard it once again, so as soon as I heard it the second time, I ran and got a, a piece of paper because I was like, somebody changed the words. What I realized was this was kind of a COVID rendition of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, but they dubbed in like the real voice. I don't know if it was Bing Crosby or Frank, Frank Sinatra, but it sounded like the real thing. But here's what it said. I, I wrote this down, so I'm not crazy. I promise, Brent, <laughs> that I'm not. It said this. It said... Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. And then it always had this kind of future tense. And what normally would say, from now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Then it said, next year, our troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. Next year, our troubles will be miles away. And it usually said, here we are. And it says, once again, as in golden days, Happy golden days of yore. You could just almost hear the sigh. Faithful friends who were dear to us will gather near to us once more. Someday soon, that was changed. We will all be together. And then it says this. Until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. Have your, Oh, by the way, have yourself a merry little Christmas now. Now, apparently... Um, I, so I looked this up, like, am I making this up? Apparently, this song has gone through several revisions along the way. It was originally written in 1944 by a man named Hugh Martin. And these were his original words. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. May it be your last. Yeah, right? Next year, we all may be living in the past. Faithful friends who are dear to us will be near to us no more. Right? So apparently, Julie Garland was asked to sing this song, and she said, you've got to change these, rightly so, you've got to change these words. And so they changed it from faithful friends who were dear to us will be near to us once more instead of no more. And then a few years later, Frank Sinatra comes along, and he still didn't like the, re the rendition. So he changed the line from, until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. He changed it to, Hang, have, hang a shining star upon the highest bough. And that's the version that we typically sing, our nostalgic version. And, you know, songs have, um, are part of our nostalgia in the Christmas season, isn't it? It's not the same if we don't sing these songs. But how weird that it was changed so much. And it seems it changes through the seasons. So this kind of this COVID rendition is the, at least the fourth um, revision of this song. But the, the great thing about this song is the very last line. This, this is why it was written. When he seeks, he kind of, the original author write, uh, sums it up like this when he says, but have yourself a merry little Christmas now. 
In other words, no matter what you're going, whatever your circumstances may be, at least for now, now you can choose to have a Merry Christmas. You know, oftentimes I, th I think we can find ourselves either living in the, in the future or living in the past. Maybe you've said to yourself, well, well, as soon as COVID is over, then. When things get back to normal, then. When I get married, then. When I get a job, then. When the kids grow up, then. When we retire, then. And somehow we, we make this decision that um, when something happens, then I can finally give. I can finally connect. I can finally rest or play. Then I can really live like I want to live. Or sometimes we spend a lot of our time in the past. And, you know, um, we, we kind of get stuck there. We... we um, th we get stuck in things that happened in the past, and we look back with regrets, and we say things like, if only I'd said yes. If only I'd said no. If only I'd started. If only I had finished. If only he. If only she. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves getting stuck in these things that happened so long ago. Either way, whether we're looking forward or living with regrets in the past, we can become so preoccupied being somewhere else than we are right now. It's amazing how we do that. We can miss what's happening right in front of us or the person that's right in front of us. We can miss our spouse's heavy sigh. We can miss the real struggles of our kids doing home school at home. We can miss the weary way the checkout person moves behind the counter. We can miss and forget about the lonely neighbor next door who just lost her husband. Or that we can forget about the struggling single mom or dad, parent. And we miss all of these Wonderful opportunities to be kind, to be generous, to be encouraging. We miss those opportunities because we're not in the moment for right now. The thing is, if we aren't attentive to what's in front of us right now, we can actually miss the entire experience of our lives being somewhere else than we are. You know, I think part of that, what causes that in our lives is that we live such distracted lives. You know, if there's one word that has described this generation, it's the word distracted. Um, and there's so many things to distract us. There's, not, there's external things, of course, but there's also internal things that can distract us as well. Linda Stone, who's a former Apple and Microsoft executive, she said this. She said, attention is the most powerful tool of the human spirit. And Justin Rosenstein, he, he was the tech creator of the Facebook like button, right? He said this, everyone is distracted all the time. And it's amazing how that happens, what that looks like in our lives. Can you see that? Real picture. It's amazing how much we can miss when we're distracted. And technology is notorious 
for yanking us out of the present moment, isn't it? We've all seen the picture of friends who are gathered around a restaurant table, and this is so often what we see. People on their cell phones. They aren't fully present to the people around them and the moment that they're in. I think a lot of times, you know, um, we're really not comfortable, right? We're really not comfortable with empty spaces. We're, we're, we're um, in the doctor's office or we're standing in line and we're not comfortable with this space. And so we immediately fill it up with something. Typically it's our phones. We run to our phones. But we fill these empty spaces up because we're not used to that. And I think that staying present could be one of the hardest things to do as humans. I got my notes memorized, no problem. <laughs> I'm going to keep going till they figure that out. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I was just going to make something up. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you wouldn't know any different, would you? Good, 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 good. So staying present, we're wired. It's really weird, but we are wired to live out of the moment. Our brains were wired that way. It's, we have two different, our brains have two different ways of, of interacting with our world. And the, the default mode that we run to, that our brain goes to all the time is, I'm going to geek out here. Is that okay for just a few minutes? Talk about the brain. You wonder where Brent gets his geekiness? It comes from somewhere. His dad, he got his humor from his dad, okay? So I just need to fess up for that, but... So um, our brains have two distinct ways of uh, connecting with our world. The, the default one, the one that we always go to, is called the narrative brain network. And it's the one that's almost always engaged when we're thinking. We're thinking, we're engaging, we're plotting, we're daydreaming, we're planning. Um, and it, it engages really quickly back and forth throughout our day. And it's problem solving and, and strategizing and all of that. And it's also good for dwelling in the past or in the future. And this is where our mind typically goes. Now, this is those sleepless nights when you tell your spouse or whoever, you say, and you realize you couldn't go to sleep that night because your brain was racing, right? That's your narrative brain network. It's always going, always, always solving, always, you know, working. Now, the problem with the brain narrative um, uh, network is that it can all be also be a distraction from the present moment. It can, it, because it allows our mind to wander, right? It flitters everywhere. And, and, our, and, and so we're always distracted. My kids accuse me of this of all the time. Mom, mom, <laughs> back here. Come back here. Um, for example, we were watching when it, Hamilton came out on TV. We're so, we anticipated it. It was so exciting. And I'm watching this incredible, you know, musical about Hamilton, and all of a sudden I caught myself while watching this, this music and choreography that was just out of this world, I caught myself thinking about the dinner that I needed to take a friend tomorrow, and I, I found myself watching Hamilton, but then I found myself making up a gluten-free menu in my head, and I was yanked out of that incredible moment. That's what the Narrative Brain Network does for us. Going back to Linda Stone, the, the Applesoft and Microsoft executive, she coined this phrase, Years ago, in 1998, she coined this phrase called continuous partial attention. Continuous partial attention. And it described a state in which we are rarely all there. We're not there. My kids have that. <laughs> Most of the time I do too. <laughs> the thing is, what, what it describes is that we're paying attention, but only partially. 
all the time. We're not as aware as we think we are. As I was writing these words, I'm not making this up, I was writing this sermon and these words, my cell phone dinged, and a colleague of mine was doing a, um, hosting a live webinar thing. And it's like, this is someone I like to listen to, and so I, I leave what I'm writing, I go over to listen to him, because I'm interested in what he has to say. And then I get a text from my daughter, and she sends me a picture that she says, Mom, this would be good for your garden. And then she sends a follow-up link to, um, to the flower that she was talking about. So I'm, I'm now returning back, and my phone dings again. I get a text message, and it says that the UPS man just dropped something off at my door. It's like, I want to go see what, right? You want to see what's at the door? I go there, I go to the door, and pick up my package. And just when I pick up my package, I get another ding from one of the ladies in my WhatsApp group. And she wanted to tell me about um, um, how her, one of her family members had just um, come down with COVID. And then, while I'm on this WhatsApp conversation, somebody calls me with a conversation about something else. All of this takes place in less than 10 minutes. All of this. And the thing is, I don't think this is unusual. I don't think my experience is that unusual. I think this happens to you all the time, where we flitter from one thing to another, and we're never really present. We're never allowed to be present to what is. I think we live there. We're, our lives are full, and our lives are always on the move. Yeah, uh, about, I don't know, maybe about a year ago, our, my husband and I were enjoying lunch, and our son-in-law calls and says, he's in a panic. He says, you got to come, come get me. Bria, our little one-year-old granddaughter, he says, she's had a seizure. She's had a seizure. And I said, call 911. He says, I tried. I tried. I said, you tried? Yes, I tried. And they're not answering. Like, this isn't a good day when 911 doesn't answer their phone call. So, so my husband and I, we leave our lunch. We jump in the car. He's waiting in the driveway when we get there with a limp, limp little Bria in his arms. And he jumps in the car, and we drive to the hospital. And when we get there, we actually went to a doctor's office first. They called 911, put her in the ambulance, take her to the hospital. We get to the hospital, and the doctors begin doing all of these tests. And once the tests came back, and we found out that everything looked normal and she's okay, we finally were able to breathe, right? In those kind of adrenaline-induced moments, it's really hard to breathe. So finally, our shoulders relaxed, and all of a sudden, we looked around, and we realized that Eric didn't have any shoes on. Like, he'd left the house without his shoes on. And he didn't have his wallet or his cell phone. Now, you know it's a bad day when a 20-something leaves his cell phone, right? So we said, my husband and I said, we'll go get it. So we run back to the house. And when we get there, his front door is wide open. He'd left it open in this, this rush. And on the counter, you can see it from the front door. The counter's right there. His cell phone and his wallet are on the counter. So we get back to the hospital, and he, he opens his phone. And come to find out that in this, this frantic, crazy, hectic moment... He, Eric was unable to do simple tasks like put on his shoes or grab his cell phone or dial 911. Come to find out, he had dialed 
991 five times. I was just glad to know that 911 is still on the job, to tell you the truth. But that's how we live. That's how we lived oftentimes in this, this narrative network where our lives are full, they're constantly on the move, and after a while, we can't manage. Where we're taken out, of, we, we're, we have this pressure all the time that makes our lives flitter from one thing to another, and we're not able to make even simple um, activities um, to work for us. Contrast that to the direct narrative network. This is the other part of our brain that's, that allows us to be fully present to this moment. It's the one that allows us to be all there, and it's typically tied to our senses. It's when you see a sunset. It's when you smell something wonderful. Or, but it allows us to actually be in this moment. In 2006, um, Elizabeth Gilbert wrote the book, Eat, Pray, Love. You might be familiar with it. And she writes about a friend who exclaims that whenever she sees a beautiful place, wherever she is, she says to herself, this is so beautiful. I want to come back here again someday. And the author writes, it takes all my persuasive powers to try to convince her that she is already there. Everything that she desires and wants and needs is already in this moment. The ancient Greeks had two words for time. One was chronos, and that's how you can kind of get that chronology, right? It's, kind of, it's, it's the kind of time that was really um, linear. You go from here to here to here to here to here, and you can measure it, chronos. The other word that they had was called kiros. Kiros is different. It, it's, kiros was about a moment, a a specific time and place for action. It was like a critical, opportune time. Like, this is the time. It was also a, mo a place for moments of grace. Kiros is used 87 times in Scripture, where there was a time orchestrated by God that this is this moment. Don't miss this moment. We get a, a glimpse of a Kiros moment and actually, part of the Christmas story in the man named Simeon, recorded in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 32. I'm going to read that real quick for you. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus for, um, to do for him what was the custom of the, that the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Now, this is actually, this story of Simeon is actually a part of the Christmas story. It takes place eight days after the birth of Jesus. Now, oftentimes, like so often, you know, we get to Christmas and as soon as Christmas is over, we blaze on to the next thing, right? We're on to the next best thing. The day after Christmas, the stores put Valentine candy on the shelves, right? But, but there's more to the story. This is kind of the rest of the story. The, uh, the parents of Jesus 
brought Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. It was the Jewish custom of that day. Eight days old, you bring him into the temple to be blessed. And all of a sudden, Simeon saw him, and he realized that the promise that had made to him so long ago was being fulfilled. That the promise that he would someday, before he died, he would see the promised Messiah. And he waited all those years. It doesn't say how long he waited, but I think it's a long time because he said, now I can die in peace, right? Well, you don't say that usually until you're pretty old. <laughs> um, but the thing is, is this wasn't, this wasn't a kind of sleepy kind of waiting, like a hanging on and just waiting. This kind of waiting was an active, attentive waiting. I don't think it was ever a slumber kind of waiting. But, but because he knew this promise that he would see the Messiah before he died, he was um, fully awake, fully all there as he waited. Because he never knew when that moment would come. And he didn't want to miss it. Now, I don't know what you're waiting for. I have no idea. We're all waiting for something. But the thing is, we're, you know, we're waiting for this, right? Whatever this is. But the thing is, this matters for that. Whatever God is doing, whatever you're waiting for, this is part of that. Don't miss this because it changes that. Whatever happens here matters deeply. And, when, and that's what happened to Simeon. He didn't miss that moment when he came. He, you know, the funny thing is, as soon as he, he laid eyes on the, on the baby Jesus, he recognized him as the promised Messiah. Now, here's the funny thing, is that he wasn't looking for a baby. Um, the consolation, consolation of Israel, they, most of the people that day thought that a, a warrior king would come and deliver them from the rule of the Romans. That's what they were looking for, was this warrior king. But, but even though Christ came in a way that Simeon least expected, in a way he least expected, he still didn't miss it. He didn't miss that moment. You know, the word patience comes from a Latin word called patur, which means to suffer. Patience means to suffer. You've probably never thought, yes, yes, it does. It feels like that all the time. Um, but waiting patiently is suffering, right? We don't, we don't like waiting. We, we are in an instant society. We don't like waiting. And there is a certain amount of suffering when we have to stand in a really, really long line. But staying present through the present moment is what patience requires of us, when really we'd rather be somewhere else. Waiting patiently means paying attention to what's happening right in front before our eyes and noticing what unfolds. Instead of being somewhere else, noticing what's happening, looking around and seeing that, and then staying there long enough. See, how does this play out? How is this going to look? Waiting is staying in the moment, knowing that there is more going on than you realize. And being able to respond to that. Knowing there's always more going on. This isn't just a place of emptiness. This isn't just a place where I want to get out of. But there's more going on than you realize. And being able to stay with that and respond to that. So here's the thing. Nobody told Simeon that day that the Messiah would show up. 
but he recognized him when that moment came, that Kirill's moment came. You know, God often doesn't work in ways we think he should work. He often comes in times we rarely think he will come. Oftentimes, it's not at all what we expect. You know, no one else that day recognized Jesus' presence. Scripture at least doesn't record that. No one else recognized that the Messiah had come and, and was in their presence. See, the thing is, and this is the most important thing this morning, is that God can only be ex- experienced in the present moment. He can only be experienced now. He isn't experienced in the past, and he's not experienced in the future. And your soul is connected with God right now in real time. It has to be in this moment. He's not a God who is afar off. He's not a a God that you have to convince to come near. He is already near. He is already available to you. Don't miss his presence and his activity in your life. The thing that he's doing right now. You know, otherwise, if we aren't looking, if we aren't present, we can actually miss the comfort that he wants to give you in this season. We can miss the joy that he wants you to experience. We can miss the hope and the strength and the healing and the restoration and the rescue that God wants to do in your life only in this moment. Our rescue isn't out here. Our redemption isn't out here. It's right here in this moment. And I got to tell you, God is always active in your life. There is never a moment he is not active. There is never a moment that he is far off. But he's always doing something. And one of the greatest joys in life is to discover what he's up to. Don't miss what he's doing. Don't miss the strength and and things that he offers you because you're somewhere else. You know, with this world, this COVID world pandemic thing, we're probably in a place where most of us really don't want to be. You know, COVID was not our choice. We didn't get to choose it. But it is what we've been given. I encourage you to stay in it. Don't wish for another place and another time. You know, this may not be the best moment or the best place, but it does have something to offer. While I was sitting back there um, going through the, the um, reflection and songs um, prior to my speaking, I thought, you know, normally we have a worship band up here and there's just wonderful music and, and I just love worship and all of that. And, it, and because of this season, we're not allowed to do that. And, you know, some of us can shake our fists and, and rail against that. Or you were provided this morning with wonderful music that was playing. You were provided with scripture that was just wonderful to read. There was one from Psalm 27 that said, wait patiently for the Lord. And I thought about this. I thought about the patience. It's like... Um, Wait, stay in this moment. I thought, what a wonderful gift COVID has given us. I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm not, I I miss this, but here's the deal. You were given something different today, and I hope you engaged in it. I hope you didn't um, 
wish for a different place, a different time, and another space. I hope you engage in the thing that you were given this morning. They're, neither one is good or bad. They're just different ways of engaging, and one of them we're not quite used to most of the time. So here's my practice in my closing. Here's my, pra- my practice for this season of Advent. And I'm engaging in the... Pr- See, the, I wrote this for myself. I wrote this out of my own experience of not being present. My practice for this season of Advent is the practice of noticing. The practice of noticing. That means I have to slow down. You know, I usually, I find myself, this is kind of my, my go-to, what I do, is I run through parking lots. Right? Weird. But it's like, I just need to get on with things. Like, parking lots are such a waste of my time. You know, my life is too valuable to walk So I run. If you ever see me, I'm running through a parking lot to get where I need to go. So part of my practice of noticing is to walk slowly to get to where I need to go, to listen to the outdoor music that I probably have always missed, the music that's playing. And we're going to have to do the same, not walk through parking lots, but we're going to have to stay alert. We're going to have to slow down um, and to just... um, kind of re-focus, re, uh, recalibrate how we live. And part of that, I think, um, is we may have to do something with this. I don't know. Turn it off. You know what? Now, I know some of you are just about fainted when she just said that. <laughs> turn it off. What if, what if we turn it off for an hour a day? See, this, um, our default network is this, is this flittering network that goes all across the board. This, this other network, the direct network, is something that's trained because it's not our default way of living. So we're going to have to train ourselves. We're going to have to walk through parking lots. We're going to have to maybe turn this off for an hour a day or however you think that should be. But I wonder, even right now, in this moment, what are you doing with this moment? Some of you might be putting together a grocery list or a to-do list when you get home. I, I do the same thing, right? How? So let's put the list away for just 30 seconds. Let's put that away for just a moment, and let's be in this moment. And I want to take just a couple of seconds. It should be more, but just a couple of seconds to reflect and to ponder what God was saying to you in these moments. Perhaps there was something I said that jumped out at you, that you went, maybe you went, hmm, and you bumped up against that. And, you th- and can I encourage you? That's the Holy Spirit. That's how he works. Is it causes you to pause. Now, every one of us are taking something different away from this morning. But if you bumped up against something, can I encourage you to walk with it? beyond the door. Don't leave, don't leave whatever it was at those doors when you walk out in just a few minutes. But take it with you. I, I tell friends all the time, when that happens, you should walk with it. You should take it with you this week and ponder it. Think about that. Because there's something there for you in that. This is how this matters for there. Whatever the Holy Spirit is doing, he's doing through that. Pay attention to that and take it with you. And the really great thing is... Um, you may be really surprised where it takes you this week and in the days ahead. Can I pray with you this morning? So, Father, even in this moment, we can maybe feel like our minds are scattered. It's really hard to stay present to this moment. 
But Father, in this very short moment, I pray that you'll cause us to reflect. You'll cause us to take a, a breath and consider what you're saying to our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you'll allow us to take that with us, to not leave it here, but may we reflect on it, on it and bring it back up and walk with it. Maybe share with someone, this is what God said to me, or this is what God is doing in my life. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to live into this in our days ahead. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Hey, grab a seat for a second. Sure. We're going to do a little Q&A to close this thing out. All right. Sit on the, the fun red chair. Yes, I love red chairs. <clears throat> I tried to uh, listen so I could ask <laughs> informed questions. Good, good. That's good. I was you on listened. My, on my phone a little bit, but I think I got most of what you were trying to say. Um, take, you know, just take what you can, can you hear get. Me? There we go. There we go. Um, you mentioned early on you used an illustration of, of people changing the songs. I'm going to scoot a little bit away just because I think the ring's me. Um, and uh, growing up, she would always lead Advent uh, at our house. So at, the, at this time of year, we'd gather the family on the couch, do a devotion, light the candles, do the thing, and then we would sing a song at the end, and it would take turns on who, who led. And whenever she led, she would always change the, the words Care, of the Christmas carol song. <laughs> So I think that that was just a close-to-home thing for you, trying to make you feel could, better about I could never remember the words. Yeah, we, we only sing them once a year, so we, like, hark the herald angels sing, and they'd be like, and we'd be like, is that how that goes? I don't think that's how that goes, Mom. So I think you were just trying and I to think justify. You, the problem is I think you picked that up. Yeah, maybe a little bit, probably. Um, you went through some practical strategies of, uh, of time limits on the phones, which I think is, is critical. Obviously, that's, uh, you know, phones are relatively decently new. I mean, I, I remember, like, uh, pre-iPhones, the Motorola razors, and before that, the bricks and all that kind of stuff. Uh, what kind of a distraction? Has, has, is, it, is this a problem that came out of nothing? Have we always been distracted, and the phones just make it more accessible? Pre-phones. I mean, I'm not as old as you, so how, tell me. I'm just kidding. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> what was it like uh, back what then? What was it like back then? <laughs> Did we live with this distraction sort of thing beforehand? And it, yeah. is there any wisdom in then, like, figuring out what they did then to kind of help us do this now? Because it does feel like, yeah. you're right, if we have two minutes of time while we're waiting for the kids to come out of practice or something like that, yeah. it's immediately to the phone. So what, yeah. what, what did people do beforehand? Did they just listen to the radio or something? Or the, the phonograph? What happened? <laughs> well, our lives were much slower for sure. And technology, the, there, there used to be empty spaces in our lives. We'd go to the doctor's office and we have to wait 20 minutes or whatever. And so you could just sit and, and look around or we, we had much more empty spaces. We went, and we went camping. We did other things that were more um, experiential, that engaged our bodies and, and things. This, and we just had those spaces and there was nothing to fill it up with. So we just stayed in that space and we'd have time to reflect and to think and and again, technology just fills every moment for us. Let's dial it down to the waiting room just to pick a spot. In the waiting room, you're not camping, you're not doing anything experience. You're literally just yeah. waiting for this guy who's yeah. taking forever to do but, things, right? But you're listening, you're noticing, so that's what I'm, you're looking. Were we more interactive with other people in a waiting room environment where right now, if I'm on my phone, that's code to you. Like, don't talk to me. Right. I, I'm right. not interested in right. what you have to say. Yeah. We kind of make fun. There, there's a... Um, 
there's a commercial, it's my very favorite commercial that's out right now, about this guy who's trying to teach um, 20-somethings or 30-year-olds not to be like their parents. And one of the scenarios is this 20- or 30-year-old guy is talking to the guy next to him. Well, how's it going? And the guy's going, you're not supposed to do that. In our generation, I guess, that's why they're so friendly. That's why grandmas and grandpas are so friendly. Because they're used to engaging. Hey, how's it going? I don't know. I, I engaged a lady at TJ Maxx. We were standing in line, right? Because you can't get in. You have to take turns getting in. And I was at the front of the line. And so I, I was talking to the lady going, how's it going? Are you having a good day? Where are you from? Oh, and I, I learned all of her history. Yeah. <laughs> like she came from Tacoma. She's so glad to get back you know, from the rain, she misses the tree. I mean, so instead of pulling out my phone in that moment, which I could have, and, but I've learned not to, I engaged the lady in front of me. I didn't know who she was, but we had a delightful conversation. Yeah. And I hope I made her day. Those things rarely go poorly. In our minds, I think they go poorly more than we do. Like we, we engage and they go, hey, dude, I'm trying to just look at my stocks real quick or something, right? right. Uh, and then I always, I'm, when I'm around people who do that, I'm always like, it makes me awkward. If I'm with somebody I know, they engage somebody we both don't know, I'm always like, hey man, just you know, chill for a little bit. And then it goes well and I'm like, he did it right or she did it right. And I feel like I should probably do more of that yeah. than on yeah. my phone. But anyways, that was, that was one thing. Um, you mentioned people, um, the Kairos Kronos illustration of being in the moment. I think the only thing I can think of is one of the, the impacts of uh, Corona that I felt the most is the lack of concerts this year or large gathering events, sporting events, whatever. And I just, my mind replays going, uh, well, here's what it replays actually. I think about when I watch people on TV at a concert and they're filming something, I think those idiots, they're at a concert, what are they doing? But when I'm in that moment, I do have my phone out and I'm doing, so there's like a little bit of hypocrisy in the, involved in that. Um, and I wonder if now kind of moving out of that, one of the things that we crave the most is like just being in community. I wonder if there will be less of that moving forward because every time I see that and I watch people doing that, I'm like, you are never going to watch that film again, right? You're never going to watch that video again. Um, and even if you did, it wouldn't mean as much to you in the reliving of it as it yeah. would if you just experienced it and then replayed it in your mind. Right. Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. I, I was at, uh, we went to a Coldplay concert at the Gorge and like, I just, I remember mm -hmm. that feeling and watching out going like, and being with the people and going, this is like a moment. Like I'll mm -hmm. never forget this moment. Mm -hmm. And was it, if I had a video of it, would it be as cool? Probably yeah. not. And in my mind yeah. it is. So what, what's yeah. the value of that clip anyways? Oh, I'll, so yeah. that I have some evidence that I'll never forget it. I mean, right. that right. should be your memory well, anyways, right? And the thing is, is the Kronos moments, they're, um, they're the, transformation doesn't happen passively in our lives. So to do this, this is not transformative because information alone is too passive to transform our lives. You can, so you can, you know, have, you know, Coldplay on here, but when you actually experience Coldplay, so transformation always happens in a really engaged, when your senses are engaged. For example, we were going on, on the boat down the river and it was a beautiful day. You see the sunset. You feel the breeze in your hair. You notice the waves. All of a sudden, you're fully engaged. So Kronos moments are when we're really engaged. And yeah, church can be that. When you hear the music and you're surrounded by community, it can be that if we allow it to. If we come just expecting more information, but if we actually take in all of these um, engaging things, our senses, we hear, we see, we smell, we touch, we move, that becomes very, very transformative. And I think in those moments we don't do it because we fear I'll forget. 
I'll never remember this. I'll forget this sunset, and it's amazing to look at, right? And so then what we do is we devalue the formation of those Kairos moments. Right. And we're just saying it's something I need to remember, even though even in the memory, it won't do as much good as being in the moment for that, which is good. A um, couple, two last things. Um, one, there's over and over again in scripture, Jesus would talk about the kingdom of heaven is near or the kingdom of heaven is within you. Leo Tolstoy wrote a book on this kind of stuff about how um, when he's saying this, it's kind of code for these people. They don't know kingdom of heaven is near you or within, within reach. But what he's trying to say is this is a moment. Don't let it pass you by, right? This is... If you, when, when I say gather the kids unto me, right, and there's kind of issues with all of that, and then the, you see something, and Jesus in those moments, I think, is t- trying to tell his disciples, look here, focus here, don't miss this, right. because this is right. the kingdom of heaven. Right, and you know, you. we do that as Christians, too. Whenever you hear the word kingdom of heaven, what do you think of? Eternity. You yeah. think of heaven. You think of a future kingdom, when the kingdom of God is right now and lives in us. Yeah. So whatever God's doing, however he's... Um, building his kingdom, it's right now. It's, it's both and. It's not either or. It's both and. But we typically think of kingdom or, you know, even salvation. We think of salvation as I'm saved, you know, for heaven instead of being saved daily by God, by, by him transforming us every day is, is a salvation in our lives. So it, it, we forget that salvation happens now. Yeah. Uh, and the last thing is, you know that we like to show funny clips on an intro to our talks um, so next week, if you come back, it's a video of her running through parking lots. It's just going to be, it's going to be really great, guys. So don't miss next week. Thanks for coming by.